Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. Six Sundays ago, you'll recall our reading was the first Passion Prediction of Jesus, and this Sunday's reading follows the third and final one of that set. We also noted that this particular section of Mark, where the three predictions occur, is framed by two healing stories involving blindness in chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, and following our reading for this Sunday in chapter 10, 46 to 52, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Prior to this framed middle section, Mark gives us frequent geographical notice of Jesus' movements as he crisscrosses Galilee in his synagogue ministry and then begins to fan outward into Gentile regions, Tyre, Sidon, the cities of the Decapolis. Over the last Six Sundays, by contrast, we've been in a more indeterminate space. Clearly, Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. His announcements say as much. But the geographical notices and the specifics of his movement thin out. The focus is rather on his teaching of the Twelve and dealing with their blindness, hence the frame, exhibited in various ways. However, mention is made of Judea at the start of chapter 10, and Jerusalem Pharisees come up from the capital and make an appearance to test Jesus about divorce. The third passion prediction locates itself quite clearly in proximity to Jerusalem. And after our reading for today, Jericho is the location when it comes to the healing of Bartimaeus. Caesarea Philippi and Galilee, where the first two announcements took place, are now fully in the rearview mirror. The third prediction makes it clear that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to chief priests, condemned, delivered to Gentiles, mocked, spit upon, scourged, killed, and on the third day rise. Obviously, this is a much more detailed, specific account of what is in store, suitable, one might well conclude, for the final and most proximate of the three announcements. Jerusalem is just around the corner, just over the horizon. The Greek passive verb forms, translated delivered, handed over, are of course the same terms translated elsewhere, betrayed. 
And Isaiah 53, 6 has the same word in its Greek translation. The Lord handed him over as a sin offering, paradidomai, the ground Greek verb form. Almost in reverse proportion then to previous announcements where the fate of Jesus that he declared was to come was rebuked or reacted to in silence and the third day rising ignored. This time the detailed account of death terrible in its stages is apparently accepted by James and John and instead their ear picks up on the third day rising as decisive. So taking Jesus aside, they say, grant us to sit on your right hand and on your left in your glory. Our Old Testament reading, quite appropriately then, is the final servant song and its language has clearly found its way into Mark's gospel account for today. There we read that the servant is handed over, delivered. He is mocked and scourged and beaten and killed. He gives his life as a ransom. God makes his life an offering for sin. His final destiny is, however, vindication and some form of new life. He shall see his offspring, the servants of the servant in Isaiah's depiction, his offspring, and he shall prolong his days out of his anguish. He shall see light. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. He has borne the sin of many. He has borne their iniquities. This Isaiah scenario is the cup that Jesus says to James and John. It is his to drink. It is the baptism with which he is to be baptized. Mark doubtless has this Isaiah scenario in view, and perhaps alongside it that of Daniel 7, as does Jesus in his understanding quite explicitly. Less clear is why James and John ask that Jesus do whatever they ask, a blank check, as it were, at just this moment. Jesus does not comply, however, with their lofty request, but in his usual way, presses the question back to them, what do you have in mind? Are we to imagine that after three announcements, texts like Isaiah 53 or Daniel 7, have begun to shape how these two are now hearing the announcements at the final analysis. And so embolden two of them to take Jesus aside and ask for something like the righteous fate of those God gives a share. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, or Daniel 7, one like a son of man was presented before the Ancient of Days. To him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. What Jesus does say indicates that whatever scenario may be in their minds, their grasp of it is partial at best. 
the path that ends in glory, is not a hero's trailblazing so as to hand out prizes to two who got first in line and asked before others. Those who follow Jesus will drink the same cup as he does. And the ten others will be neither higher nor lower in whatever way one might want to imagine that in human terms, Gentile, ranking. Whatever servant following is to look like ruled out is Gentile ranking concerns and God's final disposing, which is known alone to him. That would be getting way ahead of the game and is not the path Jesus or they will find their life truly on. It is not so among you. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. So as well, in a path prepared before him, the servant's path as well. In that song, the we confessions of those who witness the servant's fate and offering form the proper responses of all servants, all 12, all two plus 10 servants who would follow. He has borne our affirmities, carried our diseases. We accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, yet he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, we've turned to our own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The symphony of Scripture gives both an account of Jesus' fate, guiding him and assisting Mark as the evangelist frames his account, but as well providing the lines of confession and response Jesus is seeking to raise up amongst his closest 12 followers. Followers he never abandons in spite of blindness and constant need for teaching and correction. And so it is with us as well. And so is Isaiah and Mark's pedagogy. Psalm 91 comes alongside then for this Sunday to script what all this looks like from God's side. Because he is bound to me in love, therefore I will deliver him. I will protect him. He knows my name. He calls upon me. I answer him. I am with him in trouble. I rescue him and bring him honor. And with long life, I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The glory that will be Jesus' final place in God's disposing goes through the stages that are set forth by him in clarity in his final passion prediction guided perhaps by Isaiah and others before him. Because he is bound to me in love, therefore I will deliver him. Our epistle reading from Hebrews, because the letter is sufficiently long, allows the lectionary measure of selection 
And so the portion from chapter 5 for this Sunday joins up nicely and fills out the Old Testament and gospel reading for today. There is a high priest and a great high priest and a great high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God. In his suffering and life with us, he learned obedience and in so doing became perfect in a way no one can rank in human terms. And in this way, he has become the source of eternal life for those who in turn obey him. And the author describes his high priesthood as one of constant knowledge of the weaknesses of humanity, weaknesses he deigned to face into with the twelve, as we have seen, and so he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And finally, in our track one selections from Job, we have one of the four key episodes the lectionary has chosen to provide in an effort to summarize an extraordinary story that our hero inhabits in his 42-chapter walk with God. Over the course of the dialogues and the exchanges with Elihu, in as strong terms as is possible, the friends in Elihu counseled, warned, refused to accept as credible, warranted, or right Job's demand to be heard by God and by God alone. Instead, they focused on his supposed moral errors or bad theology, and they demanded that he do the same as well. But no. Job gets from God, in the end, what he demanded. God. Not an idea about God or theology or theories of sin and judgment or why the innocent suffer and no offers of condolence or excuse. Job wanted God and God comes to him as God is. From where he is, from his side, from the realms of his power that belong and define him, animals are displayed that have nothing to do with human affairs. They do their thing out of human sight. Yet in so doing, there God sees them, knows them, enjoys them. His bold questions to Job require from him an honorable girding of loins as he is treated as one God is prepared to be God before this man who has borne the burden of days like no one before him. Our reading from Job is, has not been chosen to sit beside Mark 10 in any conscious sense. It belongs to an absurdly brief four Sundays glimpse at a tale of suffering and a cortex of spiritual battle without much parallel. Have you seen anyone like Job, God boasts? Then he invests himself fully in this man whose defeat of Satan involves his free choice 
to stay on the field of battle for no reason other than God's own sake. At the same time, when Jesus says, it is not mine to grant, it is for those for whom it has been prepared, or no one is good but God alone, he bespeaks this same obedient stance. Yet as one who has known it fully himself and given it up for us and for our sakes. In so doing, creating a family in eternal life alongside him, the twelve and all others, just as we wait in his time for Job to receive the glory God will in the end grant him. Now this comes along a path that will ask him freely to pray for his friends, even while on the ash heap. And in this action, our hero, defeating Satan by his obedience, his perseverance, and his willed act of love and compassion. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.